All right. Shabbat Shalom, everybody. It's good to see you guys. This is our third week doing Torah portions. And you may notice right now, uh, my setup is a little bit different. Also, if I come in like, choppy for you guys, do let me know in the comment section. I'll try to fix my Wi-Fi. Um, the setup's a little bit different this week. I am in a hotel room right now in Jacksonville, Florida, and I am on my way down actually from this point forward going west along the panhandle of Florida uh, for our ninth annual winterization. We spend every winter uh, for like three months. Uh, we finish out the year here in uh, the, uh, the Gulf Coast right on the beach. So by next week, I will be in another location. And because we, uh, you know, my children are older, I've got three children now in a uh, a camper and of course you know we choose to live we usually live like half of the year in our camper just for fun because we really enjoy it but uh anyone who has children knows what it's like to have children to try to keep them quiet in a very confined space and if if i were there right now you would see them behind me jumping on the bed or something like that so i think for the next three months i will be renting an office every single week uh, to do these tour portions and i'm of course excited to be here with you guys as you guys can see i've got pamela miss pamela here with me tonight and she's going to she of course is the translator of the paleo hebrew and you know i mean to be honest here i've <laughs> i've been like struggling keeping my head above the water i mean this is new for all of us going through the paleo and uh she's going to help take us through it this week so i'm looking forward to that pamela shabbat shalom and uh, I'm going to hand it over to you for a couple of minutes here. And because I know a lot of people have questions about you know, the, 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 the translation process, how you're translating to Paleo-Hebrew, and maybe there's some, some other things you'd like to clarify as well. And shalom to everyone. Um, I guess the first thing that I'm, I'm hoping, I, I, I noticed there's some confusion um, about pronunciations and how I how I translate the words. Uh, first of all, uh, the Paleo is not modern Israeli Hebrew. These are two different languages, and modern Israeli Hebrew it depends upon uh, these Nakud to to decide what vowels are being used and how something is pronounced. That is not the case in Paleo-Hebrew. Paleo-Hebrew contains what are called stealth vowels. And so they, they, these symbols come with a vowel sound attached to them. So um, this is, I know that for some of you it's, it's new and different. And I hope that you will um, sort of have grace and patience as we go through this this is uh this has been a unique process for myself um i've i've had moments in my life where you know i what you'd say was inspiration songs the ruach giving me songs or or words or whatever but um i have never i guess you say had this it's, it's really almost an obsession i was talking to rebecca about it. It's almost a, an obsession where you're just like, you feel driven uh, to do this. And thinking about it when you're laying down, when you're sleeping, and when you get up in the morning, you know, it's just, it, it sort of consumed me. Genesis just consumed me. And um, 
so it was it was a unique process in my life and to translate from the paleo is it's you know you translate also you know you, the the words what the words mean but also you're looking at the root of the word the two parent you know the parent root and so that you're trying to find the deeper meaning and not, not just a superficial meaning you realize there's something going on here that I, I I didn't realize was going on. He's trying to tell us things. He's opening up the books for us. And so I hope that you will have have patience and understanding while we go through this process of learning what what uh, Allah Hayyam has to say to us. So I hope that's that helps um, at least where you understand where I'm coming from. Yeah, and I, I should have, uh, I was thinking about this while you were talking, I should have clarified that uh, Pamela, I, I, well, I think you probably started your paleo translations with the Psalms, am I correct? I did, I did. Yeah, I did. yeah and so she's been, she started, uh, it was, I don't know how many years ago, I, I saw some um, documents she was passing around online about her paleo translations, and they happened to be on one Psalm or another, and I picked up a copy and I started reading it and I said, Pamela, this is really good. Like, this is really engaging. And I, I, you know, the way you lay this out and can I publish this? And she's like, sure. And so we started publishing them on there and pretty soon, you know, we, we have two books, uh, two volumes of uh, the Psalms from the paleo um, that she has completed. I think there's going to be five in all when you're finally done, except of course, right now she's uh, occupied translating the entire Torah. So for probably, uh, we should probably just dive right into this tonight because I think there's probably a lot we want to say on this. Uh, now, I am on a um, trying to let's see here. Hopefully, this is going to work. Nope, that's not going to work. All right, here we go. So I'm on. Um, yeah, I'm on one computer tonight. So as I was telling you guys before, I uh, this there's this jumble screen right next to me. It, it's huge. It's like a you know drive-in theater in here in this hotel room, beautiful flat screen. And I spent like two hours trying to work, wrestle with the HDMI cords and even the, the front desk. It was like a loss. They they couldn't get it hooked up. So I'm trying to you know wrestle with this you know with all this text here on my computer screen. So be patient with me, everybody. Let's start reading. This is our third Torah portion, and uh, it's it's a, of course a good one. Up. Oh, all right. Here we go. Is that scrolling for you guys? Yep. History of the House of Abraham, book the second. I also noticed, um, Pamela, that you, I got so used to saying Abraham with a V, but you have a B here. So is there, you know, feel free. I, I'm not asking you, but feel free to comment on that at some point tonight. And here we go. Yahuwah, the ever-living, said to Al Abram, or Abraham, walk from your land and from your kindred, the house of your fathers to the land to which I will direct you. And I will make you a great nation and I will make your name celebrated and greatly valued. And you shall exist as a benefactor. And I will Barak those who kneel before you. And uh, as I explained before, Barak is, is, is like the word bless. Uh, Pamela is not, you know, uh, too fond of the word uh, bless. And she puts Barak in here. And curse those who lightly esteem you. Now, this is the first time my understanding that we see in scripture the blessing and the curse, the Barak or the, the 
people can choose this. Uh, and in all the families of Adamaha shall become benefited from you. So Abram walked as Debar al-Yahuwah, the ever-living, had told him. And Lot, Lot, that would be Lot, walked with him. And Abram was 75 years old and is going forth from uh, Cheron. Abram also took, I, I've been practicing this all week, and I'm going to wrestle with this, Pamela, uh, Shara'ya. Did Shariah. I get that right? Shara'ya. Which you guys know as as a Sarah, but it would have been uh, uh, Sarai. Sarai, yeah, Sarai, in before she became Sarah, of course, his covenant woman, and Lawat, Lawat, Lot, the brother, and the whole of his property which he possessed, and the slaves which he had acquired in Haran or Sharon, and he went forth to walk the land of that would be Canaan, but Kanuwan. Thus he entered the country of Canaan. Then Abram traveled in that country to the village of Shechem, and as far as Ahuan, uh, Mahuaraha, and the uh, Kenu, uh, Anuya, the Canaanites, were still in the land. All right, I'm going to just, uh, you know, I'll, I'll read this whole thing, and then I'll talk about it. Yahuwah, the ever-living, also appeared to Abram and repeated, I will give this country to your descendants. So he built so there built an altar to Yahuwah, the ever-living, who had appeared to him. And remember now, we're doing uh, a tag team here with Allah Hayam, the, uh, the Most High, and his son, the heir, Yahuwah. So notice who it is that is calling him out. Notice who it is who is promising you know, that this will be his land forever. And, you know, eventually in this study, we're going to get to Deuteronomy, where it talks about, you know, the, the lands were divided up and who gets um, the, the promised land. It's Yahuwah. So notice who's doing it, right? This is his land, and he's calling Abraham out to it to, to make this covenant with him. Really interesting. Uh, so there he there built an altar to Yahuwah, the ever-living, who had appeared to him. Afterwards, he removed from there to the hills at the east of Baethal and pitched his tent with Baethal at the west and uh, Ha'ayah uh, to the east. There he also built an altar to Yahuwah, the ever-living, and called upon the name of Yahuwah, the ever-living. Then Abram marched on the journey and proceeded to the south. All right. Now, there's really hardly... A better passage of scripture that describes what is expected of us in our present day journey than what we just read. Uh, the name of this Torah portion, if I'm going by the the, the modern Hebrew, uh, would well in English a translation would be "Go for yourself," right? Abraham is personally called out of Babylon by Yahuwah, the son of Aliham. He was called out on a journey and told to be obedient. Now. In the past, I, I traditionally, one thing my father was really into literature was uh, Pilgrim's Progress. And he had me read that book when I was a little boy. And I remember that scene when Christian, he, he leaves, uh, he flees from the city of destruction. He leaves, he makes a conscious decision to step foot out his door and, and start hauling it. And who are the two people that follow him? Obstinate and Pliable. And these two, they're actually... Uh, well, they're gaslighting him. They're mocking him, and they're like, "You're, you're the crazy one. You're, you know, he's, he's waking up and he's realizing how sinful and wicked this world is." And you know, 
you know, the controllers over him and all the stuff he wants out of there. And they're coming in and being like, you know, we need to calm you down, something wrong with you. And I think all of us could probably, I would assume most of my listeners uh, can, you know, relate to that. You know, when you two kind of woke up to the reality of the world, how Hasatan has his grips on this world and he's lying to us, right? And, you know, the, the normies, they'll say things like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, he lies. We know that. But he wouldn't lie about that or that, you know, like that. The, the, like, come on now. I mean, he's not lying about that stuff. It's like, no, he's actually lying about everything. He's a pathological liar. He was the father of lies and he lied from the very beginning and he continues the lies. That's all he can do. So if he's controlling the narrative, he can't help but lie. Yes, he can put truths out there, but he still lies, right? And um, but so with Abraham, he is given a promise which he will never see fulfilled in his lifetime. Okay, I really want you guys to think about this. He's called to this land, but even you know, he's told that even you know his children are going to go to slavery in Egypt. We'll get to that part. He's never going to see the fulfillment of the Messiah, and yet he is obedient. That's what we need to keep in mind. Uh, it's what separates most from the mindset of this particular patriarch. And I constantly encounter those who uh, appear to be be in this, what, this journey we're on, this, 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 you know, the search for truth, because we're in the, quote, the last days. And it's all going to end soon. They're going to get that, that validation in their lifetime. See, I told you so. Stars are falling. We're in the last days. You didn't listen. And that's why they're in it. They can't seem to, you know, and I hear these complaints can't seem to go on. My life is a mess. You know, I just wish it would all end soon. And, you know, their life is downcast. And, um, but how many of us are actually waking up to the fact that we're in Babylon and we're fleeing purely for obedience and nothing else out of a love for the creator, wanting to be in a covenant with the creator and a relationship with the creator. And we, the fact that we want to serve him, we're not in this for the, you know, because we're going to see these fulfillments in our lifetime. That is what I really want to convey with the amazing thing about uh, uh, Abraham. Now, the other thing, and I want to ask your opinion on some of this, Pamela, is the last week we saw Nimrod. Um, and what we're really seeing here in between these two Torah portions is the, the, the father of two faiths, right? Two world systems. Uh, and... Uh, it, you know, Nimrod was introduced first to contrast the path of righteousness, which Abraham is going to uh, pursue and, and trail for us. Um, and I'm sorry for the movie reference here, guys, but I was remi I'm, I'm reminded of mythological-based stories, which are set up the same way, and one of them is Star Wars, right? You know, what's the opening scene? Like, in, in, in the opening scene, we, we see the, the, the threat of the empire set up, right? The, the, this empire has its clutches on humanity, and the big baddie walks into the room, Darth Vader, right? And he's, he's, he's dominating, he's controlling, and then they, they set up the bad news, right, before they take us to Luke and then uh, and Obi-Wan. And it, it's kind of similar in this fact that, you know, he steps out in faith as well to follow this mission, right? And so that's what we're seeing with Abraham. Um, and uh, yeah, Pamela. What, uh, oh yeah, the other thing. Well, Pamela, what, was there anything specifically in there that stood out to you? Well, um, as you said, you know, uh, he. Um, what I've always admired about Abraham uh, was the fact that his his obedience and. 
I mean, he Yah tells him, walk, just, just go, walk. And he immediately, he breaks camp. He immediately breaks camp and he leaves. And, you know, that's a powerful thing. How many, how many people, if y'all came to you and said, uh, I want you to, uh, I want you to go to Tennessee. I want you to go to Arkansas. I want you to go to, would you do it? You know, would you leave everything, leave your family, your job, whatever comfort you may have, you know, the, the comfortable, get out of your comfort zone. Would you do it? So that's what I've always admired about Abraham is because he did do it. He did do it. Probably people thought he was crazy, but he, he did it. So. We know what really stands out to me here is at the very end when he builds an altar to, to Yahuwah. Now, you, you know, if we're if we're looking at Yahuwah as the father, which I always did, uh, Yahuwah or Yahweh, you know, I would go, okay, yeah, I mean, build an altar. Okay, that's what people do in the Old Testament. But, and I've said this time and again, but it, it gives me chills to, to see stuff like this and to hear all the accusations about how, you know, Jesus or Yeshua or Yahusha, he's never in the Old Testament. He's just invented in the New Testament. He just shows up. You know, even in Christianity, I was told, like, he was revealed finally. But it's like, no, like, if, if this is, if Yahuwah is the son of Allah Hayam, who is revealed as Messiah Yeshua. Uh, it's there. It is there. He is right there. Like there, he is building an altar to the Son of the Most High. I think that's a really exciting thought that he, you know, just to see that there. So, hopefully, you guys are picking up on that too. Uh, before I read on, Pamela, is there anything else? What well, just like you said, he's just if if you knew how very I mean, what moved me was the fact that his he's interacting with their lives it's not i mean a lot of people have this idea you know the man upstairs you know how many times have you heard someone say the man upstairs i've been talking to the man upstairs and it's it's like you know he's he's at a distance but he's not at a distance he's interacting with the people he's he's calling forth he's walking with them that's one of the things that that has always struck me he's he's walking with them um, you will really get it, you know, in the Exodus, he's walking with them. So, uh, uh, yes, it's, it's a powerful thing when you realize he's been there all the time. We just, we just missed it because of just, you know, things, the way things were translated. So one more thought before we, um, move on is, you know, he's, he's already left now and in the, uh, I was looking at some different midrashes. I told you guys I'm not. I'm going to try to keep away from other texts. But there was this great line in the mid. This is, of course, rabbinical literature. And there's this great line in the midrash from uh, from Bereshit. So the midrash from Genesis, and it's it's a whole context of talking about uh, Terah, the the father of Abraham, and how he was a merchant of idols. And you guys know the story, like in Jasher, where he goes and smashes up idols. Well. There's this great line in there. It, it just it stuck out to me. And his father is protesting because Abraham says, you know, do, do they do these idols do any good? Do they speak to you? Do they listen to you? This kind of stuff. And his response in this one line, it was, it is the way of our forefathers. How many people, how many of you have heard that? 
Like you're trying to pursue the father's ways, his instructions in righteous living, his set apart ways. And people tell you you're wrong. You're, this is not the father's will. You're not supposed to do this. And you ask him why. Like if you try to get the root of why you're so opposed to this, like usually, you know, usually they don't want to tell you it's because they don't want to be obedient, but they will get, you will hear this answer time and time again. It's because this is the tradition of our fathers. So it's just interesting to see, you know, Abraham set out and even, you know, according to the Midrash, it's the same excuse his family was giving to him as why he should not step out because you are now going against the tradition of our fathers, right? You're, you know, the, the, our fathers will not be proud of what you're doing. You know, you're, you're embarrassed, you're an embarrassment to the family, that kind of stuff. All right. Moving back. Abraham, um, Abraham's Abraham's visit to Egypt or Matsurim, or as you call it here, Matsara Yamaha. But a famine occurred in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there for a time, as the famine was severe in the land. And as they were approaching Matara Yamaha or Matsurim, he said to Sharaya, his covenant woman, See now, I know you are a fair woman. And it may be when the Matsurim see you, they will say, this is his covenant woman, and they may murder me and keep you alive. You know, obviously, uh, uh, Sharaya, I can't, but uh, 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 it's so, I'm having a hard time. Sharaya. Pamela, can you say it one more time? Sharaya. Sharaya. That sounds so much more beautiful than how I'm pronouncing her name. Sharaya. That's actually really beautiful, actually. Um, I mean, she was, you know, a drop-dead gorgeous woman. She's rarely painted that way. Uh, but, you know, obviously, like, you know, yeah. And they, will, they may murder me and keep you alive. Say, therefore, that you are my sister. all that up in the screen hopefully actually you're not oop i'm gonna have to adjust that i don't know if it's me or you no it's me reason can you guys all see that now hopefully you guys can all see that now all right when pharaoh also observed her and sang her praises to uh Okay, observe her, uh, observe her and sing her praises to Pharaoh. The woman was accordingly taken to Pharaoh's palace. On her account, he favored Abram and presented him with sheep, oxen, asses, slaves, and maids, as well as she-asses and camels. But Yahuwah, the ever-living, disturbed Pharaoh and his household greatly on account of Shariah, the woman of Abram. So Pharaoh summoned Abram and asked, why have you done this to me? Now, if you if you go according to... Tales of the Patriarchs, which was taken out of the Dead Sea Scrolls. So we're looking at a very old Hebrew text. And you match that up with the writings of Abraham. They talk about this plague, and it appears as though it was, you know, erectile dysfunction, to put it as politely as possible, that uh, according to these texts, uh, take it for what it is worth. Pharaoh was trying to come on her, and he was never able to. And he was really frustrated 
and everyone from his household that that indicates all of Egypt that nobody was able to um, approach their wives and so there was a great lamenting in Egypt and uh, so this is when he like Pharaoh realizes okay there's something going on here and he approaches her brother right uh, and he says so Pharaoh summoned Abram and asked why have you done this to me why did you not inform me that she was your covenant woman why did you say she is my sister for I might have secured her as a woman for myself. But now take your covenant woman and walk. And Pharaoh ordered his men about him, and they set him away, and his covenant woman and all that he had along with him. Uh, before I move on, was there anything, Pamela, that stuck out to you? Well, the one thing I wanted to point out is the fact um, Pharaoh is not wanting to take her as his wife. That was clear in, in the paleo. Uh, you know, she's 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 uh, Abaram's um, covenant woman, but Pharaoh, she was she was not he was not considering her as a as wife material. She was going to be his woman, if you understand what I'm saying there. Interesting. So now, here's the thing that has always perplexed me. Maybe you have if you don't have thoughts on this, it's fine. But I mean it. Abram here, he, you know, he, he has, uh, he has a lie, his covenant woman lie for him. And then what we're going to see is he actually makes out pretty good on the deal. And I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that. Like, what well, do you see? What do you see? Uh, on here? Well, he's, he's telling what would be a half truth, you know, and I always say say that a half truth is a whole lie, but but still, uh, in in Hebrew you don't have a word for stepsister or half sister. Uh, you don't have a, a word for cousin or any of those things. So you would call someone your sister. You know, there's there's words for your your mother, but you know, grandmother no. There's a word for father-in-law, but and father, but you know, so so you, there aren't words for cousin and half sister or sister. It was just sister, anyone that's you know of the that's related to you, that's female, that's not your mother or your aunt would be a sister, if that makes yep. sense. Yeah, well, whatever whatever happened, he seems to now. Okay, I, I should stress, and you know, I don't want to assume. And Pamela, you might have your own thoughts, but it it doesn't state here how Abram became rich. Am I correct? Like well, we don't know. If he the thing is, in my opinion, you know, Proverbs say says that what happens in the past will happen again. There are cycles. And Shariah, she represents the the children of Israel who are taking who are taken captive by uh, the Mitzrayim or the uh, you know the the Mitzrayim. Um, they're taken. She's taken as a captive, as a as a slave, and she's the kind of slave that she's supposed to be or going to be is not. A particular good one and 
when she leaves, just as the children of Yasharel, when they left slavery, they spoiled the Egyptians. This is what is happening again, in my opinion, yep. that 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 Abram and Shariah are 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 spoiling the Egyptians. And yes, you know, they they he may have benefited financially, but um, I can only imagine uh, what uh, Shariah was going through. Uh, he, I mean, Abraham, he didn't know if he was going to live or die. If they yeah, found that, out that, you know, the more, yeah, and that's more, why I mean, can, can you imagine your wife is taken captive? And can you imagine your thoughts of what they might be doing to her? You know, it's just, I can imagine most, both of them went through quite a bit of anguish and um, mental and, and emotional distress. Yeah, I, I, that absolutely. I, the reason I made that comment was because, you know, when you read extra texts, um, it, it seems to make clear that uh, a good example would be writings of Abraham. It seems to make clear that he basically got a lot of loot out of that. Like it, he got his riches out of that situation and he seemed to clean uh, Egypt out as he came out. So uh, the, this plague was so severe over Egypt. They're like, take this money, you know, take our treasures and go like, as you said, you saw with Exodus. And I bring that up because as we move on, you know, we see the relationship immediately change. Well, we'll get to it. So here we go. So Abram went up from Mitzrayim with his covenant woman and all he on all he possessed. And uh, Lot or Loat, uh, who was obviously in Egypt, Mitzrayim with him, accompanied him to the southern pastures. And Abram was very rich in cattle, silver and gold. So there it is. So it didn't say that before he went to Mitzrayim, but now he's very rich in cattle, silver, and gold. And afterwards, he marched from the south towards Baethal to the place where his tent had at first been pitched between Baethal and Ha'ayah to the place where he had formerly built an altar. And there Abram called upon the name of Yahuwah, the ever-living. Lot also, who journeyed from with Abram, possessed sheep, cattle, and camp followers. Uh, so that the land could not support them living together. For their flocks were so great that they could not continue living together. A dispute accordingly took place between Abram's shepherds and Lot's shepherds. And the uh, Canaanites and Pharisaeah who inhabited the land. So obviously they come out of Egypt and the, the, the friendship has changed now. You, you have Lot and Abram, their men are not able to, uh, to get along much has changed. And the reason, so my, my thought on this actually, you know, lines up with the writings of Abraham. What they talk about is how the difference between the two, between Lot and Abraham is that uh, Abraham had a, a approach that where, um, you, like, how do you explain this? Everything he had, all his riches were for the use of everybody. Like he wanted to, to barack the people around him and make sure that they were taken care of where lot had more of a uh, idea of private property and so this idea i mean he's the one bringing up that he doesn't want to share and uh you know he they're not getting along he needs they need to do something because they need to separate because like he doesn't even want his stuff getting mixed up with abrams 
And it's interesting where we see him go. Where does he go? He goes to Sodom, right? And we we see that the 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 riches that they got in it's almost like if you want to test a man's character, give him power, right? Or give him riches, right? And what does he do with those riches? What does he do with the power? We immediately see the heart of Lot in the situation versus Abram. And Lot looks to Sodom and he's like, that's where I want to go. So let's see. So this is what happens. Uh, let's see. So Abram said to Lot, let there be no quarrel between me and you or between my shepherds and your shepherds, for we both are of us brothers. Is not all the country before you? This is amazing what he says right here. I ask you to separate yourself from me. If you take to the left, then I'll take to the right. If to the right, then I'll go to the left. That is an amazing individual right there. That, you know, a guy who is so wealthy and he's not power hungry. You know, he, he has a servant's heart and he's, you know, it, 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 yeah. And it, I mean, obviously, like he he believes in the uh, the promise that was given him to uh, from Yahuwah as well about the land. So, uh, Pamela, did you have any thoughts on that? Well, let me just finish this paragraph here. Let's finish this thought. Uh, Lot, Lot, therefore looked up and observed all the district of the Yarden, that it was everywhere well, well watered. Before Yahuwah swept away Sodom and Gomorrah or Amaraha, it was like the garden of Yahuwah from the land of Mitzrayim to the land of Zayar. So the whole plain of the Yarden pleased them, and Lot removed camp towards the east, and they separated from each other. Abram accordingly settled down to dwell in the land of Canaan, and Lot settled down to dwell in the villages of the plain. But he resided at Sodom. The men of Sodom, however, were very wicked and sinful in the presence of Yahuwah, the ever-living. Let's just finish this section here. I have I don't know if you guys can see. I have this like blinding light right here, and it is like this big bulb. But it's the only light I have in this corner of the room. Otherwise, I'd be really dark, and it's like you guys probably see the, the sweat like just dripping down. It's so hot. This is burning bulb. Yahuwah, the ever-living, said to Abram after Lot separated from him, Look upward, and from the place where you are, take a view northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which you observe, I will give to you and to your race for time of long duration. Uh, now, I, I, I mean, I love this scene because here he is. I don't know. I, I can't visualize. I can visualize modern Israel. So I can, you know, where Hebron is and, you know, Jerusalem. And then you go, if you like, you go east from Jerusalem, you go uh, down into, you go past Jericho, right into the plains. And then you, if you turn to the south from there, you can go, I mean, before, right as you hit the Jordan River, you go south. And then, you know, you've got the, uh, where Sodom and Gomorrah was, the city of the plains, where the Dead Sea is now. So I don't know if Abraham was looking south or if he was looking east from his position as he's watching Lot leave with all his possessions, all his cattle, his family and his servants and his slaves. And and he's like, well, there they go. And he's taking this land. And like it, I almost get the sense it's the same moment where Yahuwah is like, all right, uh, I want you to turn to the north, turn to the south, turn to the east and the west. I'm giving all that to you. And it's almost like this was almost like I don't know if it was a test or what, but it's it's no coincidence that right as Lot is leaving because they can't get along, and Abraham lets him go there. That Yahweh is like, 
Yeah, even what Lot is going through right now, you're going to get that. That's going to be yours. So anyway, so Abram stuck, uh, struck his camp in the oak woods of Mamara or Mamra. So Rebecca, what are your thoughts? Well, uh, what I was just going to say about uh, Saddam, Saddam, or Sodom is is traditionally understood. Its name means burning, and uh, Aymaraha means bind up. If you bind up something like sheaves, uh, binding up sheaves to burn, and so he, uh, it's like they're he's pointing. Even the name is, sometimes I wonder, do they give places names afterwards, after something happened, you know? So uh, that's one of the things I have to, to think of. I, I, no, I, I, I think two things are happening, because I actually think about that same thing, too. And you know how, like, in uh, the book of Jasher, <coughs> excuse me, when you get to the passage of the birth of Moses, uh, Moshe has, like, 10 different names and they're like well uh his um his brother and sister called him this his father called him this his grandfather called him this pharaoh called him this his adopted mom called him this but you know and the people visual called him this but actually i think it was his um adopted mom who actually called him moshe but he had all these different names and i think back then probably uh people had more than one name. I really do. I think that was probably very common. And I think that's one of the big mix-ups when we look at the ancient records and we're trying to find out like who Nimrod is. And I, I've I've said in the past that I don't think that there ever was a man named Nimrod. I think Nimrod was the name they gave him. Um, I don't think that when he was, I, I, I don't, I can't say that, but I don't know that when he was ruling on the earth that his name was Nimrod. It might've been something else entirely using my Moses example. Now, when you're looking at like the the Colbrin and other ancient texts in Egypt, and they're talking about some of these same people. Uh, they talk about uh, the Abraham figure and they call him, I can't remember what his name, it's something completely different. Or remember last week when we read about the, the, uh, about the uh, Ark and they called him Enoch. I thought that was interesting. Like they called the man who built the Ark and went on to Enoch. And did Noah, have you know some association with the name Enoch? You know, as you know, his was great grandfather, I believe it was. Um, but yeah, so I my point here is that I think that there is people would get names in advance that would be prophetic because I think there is something very prophetic about name, but I think a lot of people got names afterwards too, you know. And um, because you were telling me beforehand about like the names of the um, the kings of Sodom, like what were their what were their names and what did they mean? Uh, the king. Sodom, um, uh, his name is uh, Barai, and it means son of evil. And the king of uh, Amaraha, which is Gomorrah, his, his name was Barashai, which means son of wickedness. So uh, mm. I, I don't know, did they have these names prior or or? Sometimes I think, like in the case of uh, Yaqub, uh, he got the name Yasharal after, um, you know, something significant happened in his life. So I think probably that's what happened with 
with some of these. They they were na named renamed after the fact. Um, so that's my my take on it. A couple of things. Um, I. I will break the script to ask one question, uh, but I did think it's interesting here, Josh, that maybe you gain a name when you do feats or become known for something. And uh, of course, uh, I agree with this here that the, the multiple name thing can be very annoying for record keeping. But uh, someone asked you the question, I thought this would be a good time to address this because I did mention this earlier tonight and now I can't find the comment, but uh, oh yeah, uh, right here, Pamela, can you briefly state why you prefer um, Brock over Bless? All right, Barak, of course, it is the word in Hebrew, and it it is it's just this beautiful picture of it means to kneel and place a gift at a person's feet, and uh, usually it's in praise or it's, it can be in celebration because you know uh, Yahawaha, he he will Barak you know, those who are faithful and you choose, do you want the gift or not? Do you want this gift or do you want, as you, you've stated before, do you want the gift or do you want the curse? And uh, well, you know, growing the etymology of the word blessing, you know, I'm, I, I'm really not, you know, fond of the etymology of the word, but also in the South, it, 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 it's kind of, it's almost like a curse in the south because somebody said well bless his heart you know or or, or blessing you know it actually has a negative connotation in um in southern culture so i i want one of the things that i want to do is when people start thinking in terms of the way that you know y'all thinks that's that's what we want to do right and we want to see these people in the context of their culture and what the names, these words really mean. And uh, it's just, blessing is just, it's, it's a fuzzy word. It can mean too much. And so I, I want to get back to the original thought, I guess you could say. Yeah, thanks for... Yeah, no, thank you. Thank, thanks. And I, I wanted to, I thought it'd be good to hear that now because I'm sure there'll be plenty more Baruchs coming up throughout this study. And, and uh, so people kind of have a story on that. And uh, the other thing that, you know, the, the the double meaning word, you know, the other one here in the South is sir. You know, you, you call someone sir out of respect, but it could be also very threatening, you know, call him sir, you know. And in the, the religious community, the, the word is brother. Uh, that's one of the things that it's like, it, it can be just, it, it can have like, it could be cheap currency to me because, you know, people will call me brother and it'd be like, really? Like, am I really your brother or are we being a little, you know, that's, a, you know, passive aggressive or something right now. It, it's always hard to gauge what someone means when they call you that. But anyways, getting back to this before I, um, you know, have to lay out on the Ottoman and, uh, and, uh, get into shrink talk. All right. War of Abram with the five kings. Oh, you know what I was, I almost did tonight. Last week, uh, you guys recall, I read from that incredible passage about uh, Noah slash Enoch uh, and the big boat he built uh, that, you know, destroyed the world with the flood based on the Colburn. Well, the same book, just a couple of chapters over, talks about 
this very battle that goes down with the five kings, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. And well, I'll, I'll wait till I read that passage. It, it's like a paragraph down, and then I'll talk about it a little bit. It's it, I'm not going to do it because I want to do a whole separate study on that, and I don't want to ruin it. Uh, there's some incredible things in there, but it was now in the reign of Amraphel, king of Shanuar, uh, and then we see uh, Era 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 ah, king of Alasar, Kadarla Yamar, king of uh, Elam, and Thudal, king of looks like Goyim, Gauyam, Ga the Gentiles, and they wage war with Abrae, king of Saddam, and with Bereshay, king of Amaraha, uh, Shanuab, king of Adamaha, and Shamabar, king of Zabayam, and king Belay of Zar. And all these were defeated in the valley of Shadayam, now known as the Salt Sea. So it's, it's kind of interesting, like, where the salt sea is that that whole by water it was in there that where that battle took place they served Kadarala uh, mar for 12 years but in the 13th year they rebelled accordingly in the 14th year Kadarala mar and his allied kings defeated the rephaim at ashathiroth's horn all right so i just want to focus on that word rephaim and this is this is if i'm Correct, Pamela, this is the Rephaim, right? Like King Og Rephaim. All right. So the reason I say that is because in this other passage, I'm going to whet your appetite for when I do a study on it. They talk about the the people that they were going up. They don't call them the Rephaim, but they were this, they were the sons of the serpent. They were actually these the children of the serpent. And this serpent, they said, was the son of a um, of a of, of a certain woman. And I actually don't believe they, they named the serpent. I don't believe the serpent is Hasatan. I think he is a serpent. I don't believe he is Hasatan. Um, but he would be like maybe one of the watchers or something like that. And I'm wondering if this woman is actually Lilith. That's a whole different discussion, but it's really interesting. It it de depicts like these huge, you know, uh, like reptilian like creatures they go up against. Really crazy stuff. So this was a huge epic battle against like just like the you know, the princes of darkness. Well, uh before we move on, you know, uh, uh, the Raphaim of course were a race of the giants. But also, if you look at Zawazayam or Zamzumim, is what it's pronounced in some way. That's that's uh, roving creatures, and the Ayamayam. These are terror. That's what that word means. So these aren't. I don't think these are humans. The uh, Zamzumim, the Zawazayam, and the Ayamayam. I don't think these are these are humans. I think this is it really does have a, a Lord of the Rings flavor to me. You've got these the giants, you've got these terrifying apparently they were terrifying creatures and these the Zanzamine the moving creatures you know uh, these are wild beasts. That's the same word uh, similar word to wild beasts. So these are not humans. So I just want to kind of point that out. 
uh, before we went any further, because I thought it was fascinating. Yeah, in the yeah in the in the Colburn text, and just so everyone knows what I'm talking about, it's it's the Egyptian text that talks about some of these same events, right? Moshe is recording history, and he's getting these books from Egypt, and then Egypt they were also recording these. And they, they describe it in that way. It was, uh, when I was reading it earlier uh, yesterday, I was like, man, this sounds so Lord of the Rings. And just fun little uh, tidbit to throw out there, the fighting. So the, the these kings were getting together, the kings of the plain. And they're saying, guys, like all, all men have to come out and fight. You know, anyone of fighting age, you have to fight. You have to, you're required to come out because if you guys don't fight, they're coming and they're just wiping us all out. We're all going to die. And interesting enough, on the side of uh, the the kings of the plains fighting against these Rephaim or these serpent, these sun, these serpent creatures, uh, they um, they actually had a wild man fighting on their side, according to the Egyptian text. And of course, he dies in the battle. But um, really interesting stuff. So there was, according to that, there was a kind of supernatural elements on both sides. Very, very much like Lord of the Rings in this uh, this war huge epic battle against these, you know, these like orc type creatures. All right. Accordingly in the 14th year, uh, wait, did I read this? Uh, oh yeah. the re Okay. So they defeated the Raphaim at the uh, Asha Thiras horn and the Zagwa Zaim at, at Cham along with them. And so I guess that's the word for ham there. Right. And the uh, AM, Mayam at the Devil's Horns, and the wonderful names for towns back then, and uh, the uh, Hakariah in the mountains of Shayar, as far as the pastures which adjoin the desert. Then they re they then returned and came to the Well of Justice and conquered all the plain of uh, Amalakuya, who inhabited the palm groves. The king of Sodom accordingly went out with the king of Amaraha. And the king of Adamaha and the king of Zabayayam and king Balay of Zar. And they commenced hostilities in the valley of Shadayam with um, Katalamar, king of Elam. Thank you, everyone, for putting up with me with all these words. And Thudal, king of Gayam. And Amraphil, king of Shinar. And Era um, Yoach, king of Alasar, four kings against five. The valley of Shadim, however, was full of petroleum pits. I actually like that makes I like that a lot better than I think the King James says slime pits, if I'm not mistaken. But however, it was full of petroleum pits. And the kings of Sodom and Amaraha or Gomorrah took flight and fell there. I mean, yeah, how Lord of the Rings is this, right? And the hillmen pursued. And seize all the wealth of Sodom and Amaraha and the whole of their stores and marched off. Oh, I gotta switch this again, huh? You guys can't see this. Oh, you guys can see it just fine. They also took Lot, the nephew of Abram, and his chattels, and when they walked, for he had settled down to dwell in Sodom. A fugitive then came and reported to Abram. I, I like how you got fugitive. There was a few things I liked in here, uh, Pamela. You mentioned, um, oh, well, I can't find the other one now. Oh, the Hellman. I don't remember. Maybe um, I, I should probably have the Masoretic in front of me, but uh, you talk about the Hellman that pursued them. But specifically here, the, 
That's the, uh, uh, the Hakarai Ya at the top of the page that we're reading. Mm -hmm. uh, the Hakaraya, those are cave dwellers. They were in the mountains of uh, Shaiyar. And so that that's that's the hill the hill guys, the cave dwellers, that's the hill men. It fascinating. Okay, so it sounds like there was a lot of different people groups in this, like just you know, like just coming together, like these alliances, uh, the the cave dwellers. All right, and wait, who were they again? Which are this, the people? The the Hakaraya, which is the the top paragraph, just past the. Zazamin and the uh, the the Teraga at the Devil's Horns. That's okay. the Hakaraya in the mountains of Shaiyar. That's okay. that's those guys. That's the hillmen, the cave dwellers. Wow. All right. Are we talking like cavemen here? I mean, how do you how do you picture these cave it dwellers? Be, it may be, you know, since you mentioned that about the wild man, it may be some kind of wild. Uh, wild people you know heal men you know you think in in terms when we think about uh, the history that's been given to us you you have these mountain men they're up there in the mountains all by themselves a little bit wild are these humans if they're humans they're you know let's say they've they, they're they're just a little bit uncivilized so i think that it could be either um you know, like a troglodyte type of person, a, a what we'd say a caveman. You know, the you know you see these pictures of cavemen when they try to promote um, uh, evolution. So it could could be something like that. That these are like a type of pre-Adamites. Um, I don't know. Or okay, well, that it could be humans that have just lost their civility well i ask because you know i i have a lot of questions about the cave dwellers and you know if you talk to any traditional young earth creationists they're going to say that all the cave because that was one of the big thrills in my life to go when i went to france i specifically targeted some of the caves and now if you go to uh Lesu or whatever it's called, the, the the most popular cave drawings. They don't allow you to go see the actual cave drawings now. You go to a museum and see replicas. It's kind of lame. But there was one where we were able to take a train down into a a, a, a cave, and you go down there and you could see the actual cave drawings, and they had woolly uh, woolly mammoths. That was really exciting to actually see that. Uh, to actually see real woolly mammoth uh, cave drawings. But, you know, I have a lot of questions about the cave people. Are they post-Babel? Are they, you know, a different, uh, uh, different? you know, now that the whole Cro-Magnon Neanderthal thing, they finally admitted that they're, you know, that they are not a different type of human, whatever. Uh, you know, that they're not like some other race, I should say. But, you know, I, I don't know. I just have a lot. Of, that's why I asked. I have a lot of questions about it. I obviously wasn't there. Uh, I don't want to just form some picture in my head that isn't correct. So I just one of those things I have, you know, I put on the shelf. I consider a lot. Uh, you had my interest at the cave people. So, all right. Um, though, you know, some people I, I think uh, was it. Uh, I don't want to misquote him. But I think um, uh, Mazzuli talks. He think he says that the 
the Neanderthals are like a type of Nephilim or something like that. I guess that's the other like church answer. You got you got Jesus, demon, or Nephilim. Like you know, those are the, the three. You just name you know one of the three. All right. Uh, okay. Then a fugitive then came and reported to Abram, and that, that's the other word I like. You put fugitive there. Uh, that uh, Abra uh, that Abaraya, who had settled at the oak woods of Mamras, the Amaraya, the uh, and brother of Aner who were Confederate chiefs with Abram. When Abram heard that they had taken captive his relative, he then emptied out the camp with the skilled use of his own family to the number of 318, and he pursued to judge them and overtook them in the nighttime, and he and his followers defeated and pursued them to uh, Chawabaha, which is north of Damascus, or Damashek. And he brought back all the property as well as Lot, his relatives with the men and the people. Uh, interesting that they were like on a raiding party, I guess, uh, up north. The king of Sodom then met him to, uh, the, I'm sorry, I mean, the, the people who took Lot captive, they were going, because, you know, we're talking, the, the plains is in the south, and now they're going north all the way up to Damascus to uh, get them. The king of Sodom then met him to congratulate him after his return from defeating Kadara Lamar, and the kings who were with him at the Devil's Valley. Malachiah Zadak, and that's where we get Mikilzadek. So Malachiah Zadak, did I get that right? Also, yes. King of, uh, King of Shalom, or you know Salem, uh, where we eventually get Yerushalayim, came out to them with wine, and he was priest of Al, um, Al Layuan, so okay, what is that? What are we looking at here? When he was a priest of Al, I was wondering that this week. Al, Al, you the, the 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 modern Israeli Hebrew pronounced it is El Yon, and it's uh, I Al Alayyuan. So this is what is usually translated as the Most High or the Supreme. So like El Elyon. Uh, yeah, El. L yeah L yes that's it yes L L Elion yeah okay like when we get the passage in scripture that where L Elion divided the nations and uh and uh, Yahuwah or Yahuwah got uh Israel right yeah so in Deuteronomy okay and he gave his Barak uh Barakaha so that's where we get Barak again his blessing and said L uh Al you uh oh man I can't pronounce this uh, Pamela, Al I love Juan. Can you say that? What, what am I looking at? What's the Al, word? Al. I got the Al part. Okay. Ailaya Juan. Ailaya Juan. Perfect. All right. Creator of Hashamayim, the heavens, and Barats Barak Ibrahim. And you will think the Most High who gave your enemies into your hand. He then gave to him a tenth of all the spoil. The king of Sodom also said to Abraham, you have given me my life, so take all the wealth to yourself. You know what? Um, I'll, I'll finish this section, then I'll ask you. But Abraham replied to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up my hand to Yahuwah, the ever-living, all, um, here we go again, Al-Ala-Yahwan, who acquired Shamaim and Aratz. My voice is starting to give out. <coughs> my coughs are coming in against taking even a shoestring or from taking anything that is yours so that you may not say, I have made Abram rich. 
except what the soldiers have eaten and the share of the men who came with me, uh, Aner, Eshekel, and Mamraz, allow them to take their share. So just really summing this up, if you guys are, um, uh, it, anyone's new to this and doesn't know what's happening, uh, Abraham is refusing. So he has gone and he's saved Lot. He's taken out the bad guys with Hina's men. They're coming in with all the spoils, everything that was taken from the the, the five kings uh, from the cities of like Sodom and Gomorrah. And the king of Sodom is saying, uh, you know, um, oh, he's, but Abram is, um, oh yeah, he said like, look, the, the king of Sodom is saying, look, you've, you've saved my life. Take whatever you want. And Abram's telling them, no, I'm not, I like how you put here, not even going to take a shoestring. He's like, look, let's just, let, you know, Whatever my soldiers needed to eat and that stuff, we'll consider that payment. But I am, I in no way ever want to be held, you know, in repute of I took your money or I became rich because of you, um, you know, so he refuses all that. But I want to ask you this, Pamela, you do not have to be politically correct here. Uh, we don't have to base this on any extra biblical text. We're just going off what this says right here. I'm, oh, look, she just cut out. Maybe she's going to come back. All right. Hopefully you can hear me now. Um, okay. I'm not sure if you heard me before, so I'm just going to repeat this real quick. Okay. Uh, I'm not looking for anything politically correct. You know, you don't have to give a certain answer that you think I might want to hear. Uh, we don't have to go off any extra biblical books. Just on this text alone, I'm really curious who you think the Kilzadek is. Um, well, I do not think that it is. Um, I think that uh, Malik Zadak is a title, and I think that probably Adam was the first. I'm just going by what I see in scripture. It's those who build and make an altar uh, unto Yahawaha or to Alahayam. And I think that if you go back through scripture, that you will see these who are and i think that a uh, abaram himself was a type of uh, malak sadak and uh so it could have i think it's sh i think it's sham because i i i have you know read the extra biblical text but um it is a title and it is a type of priesthood that is not necessarily dependent upon bloodline but more i i guess you'd say merit-based it's a merit yeah. more so, merit -based. And, and you know i i i kind of you know just want what the truth is right i i would be really sad if it's not uh sham or shem uh because you know he he is in jasher and in writings of abraham and some of these other texts uh he's he's listed as this person here I think something very special is going on. Um, but something that tripped me out the other day, because Zadak means like uh, just or righteous, right? Yes. The person that's on the correct path. That's what it means. So uh, this really tripped me out because I never made this connection with Yaakov, who, uh, Yahusha's brother, James the Just. They actually gave him the title in Hebrew, Zadak. Am I correct? Yes. So... Could you say that he, I mean, that's pretty close to a Melchizedek. I mean, they're calling him Zidok. He's not, he's not a king per se, but 
from perspective of the line of David, if Yahushua HaMashiach is to be king in the line of David, he's killed, and now you've got his brother ruling in Jerusalem, and he is of, of the line of David. He could have been crowned king. And so it's just that's very close to Mechilzadek right there. Yes. Yeah. That was the first time I ever made that connection. That really tripped me out to think of um, to think of James the Just Yaakov as a Mechilzadek. Yes. So, okay. So okay. we got to that section. Did you want to add anything to it? Um, the only thing that I really wanted to point out is the fact that he's, he's talking about Yaha Waha uh, as one who acquired uh, Shemayam and Aratz. He acquired. And that word for acquired, it means it can mean it could mean someone who mean or bought as in ransom the redemption for um, uh, heaven heaven and earth and so I just want to point that out because uh, that really that was powerful for me that he acquired right. heaven and earth Nice. All right. All right. Yahuwah, the ever-living, appears to Abram with a promise. It was after these events that Yahuwah, the ever-living, spoke to Abram in, in a vision, saying, Be not afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your abundant reward. I will greatly enrich you. But Abram replied, um, Adonai, or Ad Adonuya, which would be like Adonai, Yahuwah. Why should you give to me when I go childless? And the possessor of my my house will be uh, Al Yazar of Damascus, uh, Damashak, or that be El uh, Eliezer of Damascus. And of course, according to the the Targums, the uh, the Aramaic Targums, Eliezer was the son of Nimrod, and he was actually a prince of Damascus. And so, when you're you know that would explain why the the party that's coming out to wipe out these kings are actually going up to Damascus as well. And uh, so it's, it, that's one of those things that kind of tripped me out when I first realized that Eliezer was a son of Nimrod, and now he is actually a servant of Ab Abram. And here we just see that Abram is willing to hand over the keys of the kingdom to a son of Nimrod. That's how close, you know, there's, there's a few times in Abraham's life where he's just like, I'm not getting an heir. I'm not, it's not happening. So somebody's going to be an heir. So how about Eliezer? And he's like, no. And then we'll, we're going to see later. Well, how about, um, you know, through the son of, uh, through Hagar. And of course, Hagar was, uh, according to the, uh, according to, well, the writings of Abraham, but also the, uh, the Targums, she was the daughter of Pharaoh and Pharaoh was the son of. Nimrod. Uh, so and it makes sense, right? If Nimrod is a, uh, a, a a king that is ruling over a huge swath of land, he's going to take all his different children and he's going to plant them on thrones, right? Secure his kingdom. But so you see time and again where it comes so close to, you know, um, you know, handing over to, to Nimrod's people. But anyways, I digress. And Abraham continued, look at me. You have not given me offspring so that the steward of my house will become my heir. 
But Yahuwah, the ever-living, answered him, saying, That man shall not be your heir, but one who shall owe his birth to yourself shall become your heir. Now, to be fair to Eliezer, Eliezer already had a kingdom. He already had something. I think he was highly placed in Damascus. And he humbled himself and he lowered himself to the point of a servant. That's saying a lot about the heart of Eliezer as well. Eliezer, in my opinion, has a heart on par with Abram. And we'll see that in a few weeks down the road, or within a couple weeks, even more so when we have Yitshak and, and uh, Eliezer goes out to back to Babylon to find a wife, a covenant woman, for the, the person who's going to take away the, the kingdom from him that he would have been the heir of, right? If he if he was heir of Abraham, he goes and secures a woman, you know, out of his love for Abraham to give to his son. And I think this guy's a really special guy. I think he, I think he got really rewarded for his uh his service and his selflessness. All right. But Yahawaha, the ever living, answered him, say, saying, That man should not be your heir, but one who shall owe his birth to yourself shall become your heir. Then he took him to the open country and said, Look up to the sky and count the stars. If you are able to count them, telling him also, thus shall your race be. And Abram supported Yahuwah, the ever-living, and it was repaid to him in faithfulness. What do you so what do you mean by that word they're supported? And I, Abram supported Yahuwah. So that's the that's the word uh, Amanuha. And that word that is usually translated faith but the first i mean but it actually means firmness as in to support somebody uh as in prop them up and i i wanted to get back to as i said the original meaning of things too many times people say and and abram uh believed yahawaha and it was counted to him as faithfulness. And that's that word believe. It's usually translated believe, but it actually means he supported him. You know, if you have a candidate for uh, gov governor, you might go out and support your candidate. And that's that's a powerful thing that it's not just, you know, head knowledge. Do you, do you believe in Yaha Waha or are you really supporting him? By your lifestyle by taking up for him when someone you know says things are you supporting him uh you can't just you can't just you know as i say you know demons believe they have head knowledge so you have to it's more than that and so this word amanuha it means support firmness so when he's when someone says amen that comes from Amman, which means firm, or, you know, when in scripture it says, you know, when uh, it, uh, Yeshua said, truly, truly, he's actually saying, Amman, Amman, I say unto you. And that he's saying, firmly, firmly, I say unto you. So when they always repeated something, they they really meant it. That was, that was their all caps to repeat a word. And so, that word aman means support firmness yeah. 
Yeah, I, I and I, we've had this discussions many times. And this this passage right here now, it's it's Galatians, correct? Paul is Paul lifts this passage up in Galatians, and it has to be one of the most misquoted passages in all of Scripture. Like whenever we're talking about, you know, we're trying to nudge people, being like, okay, you're 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 saying you're in a covenant with Yahushua Hamashiach, like. There, there's obedience that comes into that, right? Like, you, let, let's actually start acting like we're in it and not just say, base, you know, and they're like, oh, no, he just believed. And it was, that's all, it, Just you just have to believe. And this passage right here is where they get, well, they get from Paul and Galatians, but he's quoting from this. And when you read it in the context of the Torah, like what we're reading tonight, you're like, no way. Like, you're seeing a guy who has a heart of obedience and of action. And so I really like how you put supported. I, I'm glad you uh, were able to explain that. That's good. He also said to him, I am Yahuwah who brought you from um, Awar of the Kajadam to give you this land as an inheritance. And it, I just thought about that. It's so awesome how it, it, it's like, um, it's like Adam and Eve all over again or Adam and Chua. So when we went through the creation story, we see Allah Hayam, he recreates the world. And then we see the second creation event where Yahuwah is creating a garden. This is his garden. It's a garden that he's going to walk through every single day. And what does he do? He wants a high priest in his garden. And so he puts Adam there. I just saw this. I mean, so if, if this is Yahuwah's land, right? This is his inheritance. Um, what does he want? He wants a high priest. He's bringing in a high priest over his land. And um, it, it's just showing us where his heart is, Yahuwah, that, you know, his heart is, you know, for, you know, his creation for men. Like, it's just, I, I just got like really, really awesome stuff. All right. Uh, so I, now I, I'm gonna have to repeat this because, uh, I don't even know where I left off. I get so excited. And he took him to the open country, said, look up, look up to the sky and count the stars. If you are able to count them, telling him also, thus shall your race be. And Abraham's okay. Support it. Okay. Uh, but he replied, uh, Adonai Yahuwah. I skipped a couple lines down here. How am I to know that I shall inherit it? Who answered him, select for me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old goat goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Taking all these, he split them in the middle and placed each part opposite its neighbor, but he did not split the birds. Then the kites descended upon the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. And when the sun was sinking, a stupor fell upon Abram, and also a great and terrible darkness oppressed him. What do you think, what do you make of that darkness? oppressing him well it's i mean there are the there are several times in scripture where it talks about a darkness that can be felt if you remember in egypt when they yeah. those three days of darkness um that that it was a type of darkness that could be felt it's like a horror that accompanies and i think it's it there's actually an entity uh and this entity, he he could he might not could see the entity entity, but he could he could feel it. He could feel its presence in the darkness, because in the in the time in Egypt, it said that it was so dark that they couldn't even see 
the person next to him, their brother right beside him. So he he could sense the presence of this entity. He just couldn't see it. Interesting. He then said to Abram, know this and be assured that your race will be strangers in a land not their own, and they shall enslave them and oppress them for 400 years. The nation which enslaves them, however, I will punish. And after that, I will bring them out with great wealth. But you shall go to your forefathers in uh, Shala Yuam. <clears throat> Excuse me. You shall, I, I really like this line that you put in. You shall be buried with beautiful gray hairs. When I when I read that line, I'm like, that's a Pamela line right there. That's that's a uh, that, really good, 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 uh, good, uh, good writing, good literature. And in several generations, they shall return here with the sins of the Amariya will be complete. So, I mean, this is a like a whole study on itself about. I know my wife Sarah is always really fascinated with this idea that sin runs its course, and that there has to be like a completion of sin for judgments and that, you know, everybody's on these different timetables. And it's interesting here that he just said that his descendants would be used within this 400 year span to bring about the, um, the, the judgment or the, the fulfillment of the sin on these two people. One is they'd be used to, uh, well, really what we know to loot Egypt eventually. Uh, what, how does he phrase it here? He says, Oh, I will punish. So he doesn't say that their sins are, 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 have run their course, but they're going to be punished. And then the, but it's so interesting that he's like, he's bringing Abraham. It's almost like Abraham is there 400 years too early for whatever reason. He's bringing him into the land. He's like, oh yeah, by the way, uh, these people, these, you know, I guess the Canaanites, right. They're, they're here, but they're a few hundred years off from, you know, fulfilling this, uh, this judgment on them. And I have to confess, I've never done a study on that. I would like to look into that more. I find I just, the whole thing is just, that whole line of thought is fascinating. How there has to be a completion of it. Like, you know, like the, the, the straw that breaks the camel's back, maybe. I don't know if that's the best way to phrase it. Uh, but this, okay, this is, I want to talk about this right here. After the sunset, followed by thick darkness, a bright cloud appeared, a blazing fire. I'm, I, I'd be curious, uh, Pamela, if, if you think this is anything like the, the pillar of fire, uh, we've seen Exodus, but uh, which passed between the pieces. At the same time, Yahuwah, the ever-living, cut a covenant with Abram, saying, I will give this country to your race. From the river of Matarim to the great river Fereth, the Kuyanuya, uh, uh, the Kunazaya, the Kudamanuya, the Chathuya, and the Farazaya, and the and the Rephaim, there they are again, and the Amariah, and the Kanu I Nuya, and the Garagashaya, and the Yabawasea. All right. So, what I love about the scene here, and for anyone out there that doesn't know what's happening, is I'm told, you know, by the historians and scholars and stuff. That what they were what they were doing was is when you would cut these animals in half and walk through it, the the cutting of the the animal in half represented the the two people in this covenant, uh, and the two people they would walk through it together, and it would be kind of it would be like a, the saying would be like, let 
have let what we did to this animal we cut it in half let that happen to me should i not follow through with my end of the deal like you know this is how serious this is you know we're, we're putting everything into this uh this relationship and so it's interesting that in this case uh this darkness comes down and and uh abram falls asleep he's seeing like a vision so this isn't a lucid dream we're talking about here. A Abram isn't able to control the outcome. He's not able to get up and walk through it. It's Yahuwah alone that actually walks through uh, this animal, basically saying, this is like, this is, you know, I'm going to fulfill everything. I, I don't know if you interpret it that way, Pamela. I'd be curious to take, you know, your, get your take on this. But he's like, I'm going to follow through with this. There's, there's really nothing you can do about it. Um, that's my take on it. I could be wrong, but this was one of the things when we were, when Pamela and I were in the early talks about Yahuwah, is this the same um, person or entity as Yahushua HaMashiach? This is what came to my mind because I'm like, yes. Because I'd already done studies on this, and you know, and many people go, "Well, I know it says Yahuwah or Yahweh, but really, it's you know Yeshua here." Well, that's because he is Yahuwah, and so he, when he's walking through this, he literally does fulfill it. He goes all the way to the end by, you know, living a life on the earth as the Messiah, and um, you know, ascending to heaven. So. What are your thoughts on this, Pamela? Was I off on that? Would you no, agree? Uh, you're, 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 you're spot on when you when you think of the fact that I think that that they made a point of saying that that Abaram could not move. He was in a stupor. He could not move. So it's it's Yahawaha who's who's moving. He's moving between the two pieces. And as you say, covenant making was is very serious business back then and here today it's serious business when you make a covenant with someone and so um so he is the one who's making the covenant and as you say he went all the way i mean he he paid the ultimate price i mean he yahawaha the ever living he gives his life he, he gives up his life to redeem and bring humans back into fellowship with him so it's a powerful thing the fact that he it's like i'm willing to do whatever i have to do to keep this covenant with you and your descendants so it's it's a powerful thing all right let's keep reading yahuwah the ever living appears to abram with a promise uh wait did i oh hold on oh i just read that okay let me I was jumping around here, seeing how much we had left. Uh, so Sharaya, uh, say one more time, please. I really struggle with this. Sharaya. I did. I got it right. Yes, I got it right. Sharaya advises Abraham to marry Hagar. Uh-oh, here we go. Now, Hagar, um, of course, uh, if you're going with extra biblical books, where Hagar comes into this is through... Uh, she was Pharaoh's daughter. And so when they looted Egypt and they came out, out of Egypt with all these riches, they came out with Hagar. She was Shariah's or uh, Sarai's 
servant uh, at this time or, you know, uh, yeah. So Shariah, Abraham's covenant woman, had given him no children, but she had a, and there it is, a matzah, uh, an Egyptian maid named Hagar. So Shariah said to Abram, see now Yahuwah the ever-living has kept me childless. Therefore have intercourse with my maid. Perhaps she will have a son for me. Now there is so much going on in this. I mean, this passage like hits a lot of nerves with different people and what's going on. But let me just make a couple of points here. Uh, she says, uh, she says, perhaps she will have a son for me, right? So the child that he was going to have with, with Hagar was intended to be accredited, if I'm not mistaken, as, uh, as Shariah's daughter. So it wouldn't have been attributed as Hagar's daughter. It was supposed to be her daughter. And I actually have, would, do you agree? Yes. Okay. And I actually use this as evidence for going back to Noah's three sons and how Ham came from a different mother than the other two. And people would look at the text and, you know, it says Noah's wife had these three sons. And they're like, well, how do you explain that? And, a lot of, and I, I point to this passage that, you know, that this was a practice where, you know, you could have a child for another person. All right. Uh, so anyways, you have that there. I will also point out that um, when you get like into the polygyny debate and, you know, as soon as you bring that up, you know, people are going to like, I probably get, I probably just got an unsubscriber just now, just for saying that. What's interesting here is that uh, it is uh, Sharia who actually invites this other woman into the union. And I am a firm believer that um, everybody needs to keep to their marriage vows. And so if you took marriage vows with your covenant woman, your wife to honor and cherish her, um, that doesn't, you know, you have to keep to that. And, uh, and actually Yahusha says that in the book of the Nazarene, when there's a scene where Mary Salome comes up to him and she's speaking for a friend, right? She's, and she's like, what, what about, uh, I, I know this woman is, she puts it this way, like she's not speaking about herself, but she, I know this woman and her husband doesn't, uh, doesn't sleep with her anymore. And what do you say to that? And his response was, well, he needs to keep his end of it. Whatever, whatever um, understanding they came into this marriage with, uh, they need to, he needs to keep to that. So if he came into this covenant relationship, the idea that he would um, be in that relationship with her, he, he can't hold that back from her. So I say this because a lot of the people, they, when they come into the understanding of the Torah, they get into the Hebrew roots. You get a lot of guys who are getting really excited and they're like, I can get more wives, right? I, or I'm saying this because I get asked this question a lot. I get people, I get a lot of phone calls privately about this. A lot of people talking about this. And I like to use this passage. I'm like, look, like whatever, whatever you, you, you have to honor your wife, whatever your marriage, whatever your vow was to her. And this is why this is so important in this passage that Abraham's, he's not going out and be like, that's it. I'm getting another woman. He never does that. It's his covenant woman who actually brings this relationship on. Just wanted to point that out. Food for thought for everybody. All right. And Abraham listened to the voice of Shariah. That's a nice way to put it, that he, <laughs> he listened to her voice on this one. Oh, sure. Yeah, I, I guess I will take this woman into my tent. Thank you for, I'm doing that just because you brought that up. Therefore, uh, 
I don't want to make light of it, but you know, it's just the way it's worded. Uh, in, in the Masoretic as well. Therefore, Sharia, uh, the woman of Abram, took Hagar, the uh, Mitzrayim maid, and at the end of the 10th year of Abram's uh, um, um, residence in the land of Canaan, and gave her to Abram. It did say in the end of the 10th year. So she was, I'm assuming this is 10 years after they came back from Mitzrayim. So Hagar has been her servant, her handmaid, living with her for 10 years now. Uh, and gave her to Abram, her man, as his woman. So he went into Hagar, and she conceived. When she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was lightly esteemed in her eyes. Ouch, how quickly that situation changed. Uh, another reason why, uh, boys and girls, why just, like, people out there that are pursuing multiple wives must be gluttons for punishment. I'm telling you right now. And we're going to see it again with Yaakov and and uh, his two wives and the competition, but it, it absolutely incredible how that and some I, I it, it, everyone who's a parent like you know how quickly it changes like when that baby comes out and you hold that baby like I get to a situation where Hagar in her mind she's really like thinking like yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna hand this baby over to my my lady you know the, and it's gonna be hers and when that baby came out she's like. Ooh, look at this beautiful thing and oh and you know saraha you know sarah she couldn't have one i could totally see how that would come out like it wasn't pre-thought in her mind afterthought then shariah said to abram my wrong came from you i gave my maid to your bosom and she sees that she has conceived and i am diminished in her eyes i love how she turns it on him and blames him now even though it seemed to be like her according to this text it seemed like it was her idea let Yahuwah, the ever-living, decide between me and you. Abram answered, so there's a, um, you know, the saying, happy wife is happy life. So I don't think he has a happy wife or a happy life right about now. Abram answered Shariah, well, your maid uh, in, uh, is under your hand. Do to her whatever you consider right. So Shariah persecuted her and she fled from her presence. Uh, Malak so you put Malak there. I, I, you put this a few times, Pamela. I, I'm curious what um, where you get, what you're implying here. So Malak, and that would be, of course, uh, uh, King. So King Yahuwaha met her, however, at the well of waters in the desert, at the well by the road to the wall, and asked, Hagar, servants, servant of uh, Sarah, of Shariah, where are you going and what are you weeping for? So I'm curious on that, the Malak there. Because I don't remember that in the other text. Well, uh, sometimes they put angel. Uh, okay. They put angel of the Lord. But that's not what it says in the scripture. It's malach, yahawaha, which the word malach can mean king or it can mean messenger. So uh, there are there are ways to have the word of and there's a word the in paleo hebrew but it's not used there it is absolutely not used so i'm just i just put it just like i found it malach yahawaha okay so so you you just put it like you found it so that there's no like maybe you know false pretenses or whatever so do you do you feel like it might be a fair argument to say that it's a messenger of yahuwah or Yahuwah, or, I mean, what do you think it's saying there? I think that uh, 
I think it's Yahawaha himself. And it's like he's bringing a, a message to her. Um, okay. And he's showing himself as king. I don't think that she actually, from what she says later, I don't think that that she ever becomes a believer in Yahawaha. I just don't. And um, maybe he's he's trying to to reach her, uh, you know, to bring to bring him, her into a relationship with him. That's my feeling. I could see that. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, uh, Yishmael, uh There's no indication that he ever does either. Um, so that would that would make sense. <coughs> All right, so. Hagar, servant of uh, Shariah, where are you going and what are you weeping for? And she answered, I am flying from the hand of Shariah, my mistress. But Malak, Yahuwah, the ever-living, said, return to your mistress and submit yourself to her. Malak, Yahuwah, the ever-living, also continued, you are now with child and you will give birth to a son. You must call him Yishmael, for Yahuwah heard your sorrow and he shall be a free man. His hand shall be with every man, and the hand of every man with him, and he shall stand up in the presence of all his brothers. She accordingly called the name of Yahuwah, the ever-living, who spoke to her, You are um, Al-Ra'ayah. Have we encountered that word yet? No. We have the Al part, and it, it's, you know, I'm, I'm wondering here, is she, she really saying you're the Al who, the, the, the authority, the strong leader who sees me, or is she making thinking maybe he's Ra the sun god or something like that? But uh, so oh, she's, so she might be confusing him with Ra. I think she is. I think oh. she's confusing him with Ra, and uh, it's Raaya, and it means the one who observes me. And I personally think that she she got she got mixed up she thinks it's raw and um <laughs> that's that's kind of funny she's calling him like the one who observes me because it's like it's like you're the you, you like know all this stuff about me and you're apprehending me you're observing me so that's kind of interesting yeah it's a, all right so you that's uh see you guys probably never thought you would learn that this week i learned that that's really crazy to think about uh, I can say this, for I have lived after he appeared to me. So the well was named the well of the vision of life. It is situated between Kudash and Barad. And Hagar gave birth to a son to Abram. And Abram called the name of his son by her, Yashmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar gave birth to Yashmael to Abram. The second appearance of Yahuwah to Abram and the promise of a song to Sharia. Sorry, that's a typo. She would say son. Oh, <laughs> that makes sense. <clears throat> well, it, everybody should know that, you know, um, I, I didn't say this earlier tonight. I'll just remind everyone that uh, as Pamela goes through here and makes revisions, um, which, you know, for all of you help to support this, I appreciate it that anyone who has purchased this uh, PDF in the past, you know, she's going to make revisions and anyone who's purchased will just get the revisions. Um, but it's, you know, appreciate that guys. And 
uh, it's all part of the process. <coughs> My voice is giving out, so hopefully I can make it for the next 20 minutes. 96 years old, Yahuwah, the ever-living, revealed again to Abraham and said to him, I am Al Shaddai. Now, this is, of course, Al Shaddai. This is the first time that I'm into uh, the scripture, correct? Because we haven't seen this since yeah. or yet. And this means, Pamela, the destroyer, correct? It means, uh, it has two different meanings. It is a strong leader who lays waste or destroys. It can also mean like a powerful authority who levels the field, as in harrows the field. You know how when you plow a ground, it has these furrows and it's he levels the ground. And so uh, both in it, it carries this idea of destruction. If you guys remember uh, several months ago, I gave a presentation on uh, the the from the Colbrand when it talks about the Exodus account from the Egyptian perspective, and they call they they see the Hebrew Elohim in the sky, uh, comes down to destroy Egypt, and they call him the Destroyer, and they him as the Hebrew Elohim. So it's it that it it's interesting calling the Destroyer and. That's one of the word, you know, meanings of El Shaddai, of Al Shaddai. I am Al Shaddai, walk before me and be you perfect. It's quite the thing to say after giving that title. <clears throat> and I will get me in between you and I will increase you very, very greatly. Abram then fell on his face and Allahayan declared to him saying, Behold my covenant with you and you shall exist the father of many nations. So your name shall be Abraham. For you shall be the father of a noisy multitude. And I will make you very fruitful, and I will make nations and kingdoms proceed from you. I will also cause my covenant to rise up between myself and you, and with your descendants after you from generation to generation for length of days, to be of Alahayam to you and your seed after you. I will also give to you and you your seed this country where you are a foreigner, the whole land of Canaan for a possession for length of days, and I will exist of Alahayam to them. Allah, so this is interesting because now, so keep in mind, the person who was just speaking here was Yahuwaha, who calls himself Al Shaddai. But now we're going to Alahayam, the father. Alahayam also repeated to Abram. So you guys see that, that switch there? Alahayam says, Now this is the covenant which you shall keep as well as your seed after you in their generation. This is the covenant which you shall guard between myself and you and your seed after you. Circumcise every male of them and they shall be circumcised in the foreskin of the body, distinguishing mark between myself and them. And upon the eighth day, every male shall be circumcised. Whether born of the family or purchased for, of, for money, also he is not of your race. Did you get that right there? So. People will tell you all the time, Jewish. You know, what are you Jewish? I'm like, no, I'm not Jewish. I'm not. I'm don't have to be that race. This is right there. He is not of your race. Everybody, everyone in the covenant. Uh, if you if you consider Abraham your father, uh, you could you could fall into the category. Of, let's let's see all the categories you can fall under here. Um, uh, let's see every male uh, born of the family. So maybe that's not a. 
purchase for money. So you could be born in the family, purchase for money, or just not of your race, right? You could be just grafted in. So whoever is the child family or bought for money shall be circumcised. And it is my covenant in your body is an everlasting bond. But the degraded male who has not been circumcised shall then become separated from my people because he has broken the covenant. So it seems pretty important. Allahayam further said to Abram, uh, Shariah, oh, your covenant woman, that caught me by surprise there. I didn't realize I was reading her name, shall no more be called by the name of Shariah for Sarah. Okay, now we've got a new one here, Pamela. Sharaha. Is that correct? Sharaha. Sharaha. Or Sharaha. Sharaha. Well, I my wife's name in there, Sarah. I like Sharaha, but Sharaha sounds good too. Sharaha shall be her name, and I will barak her and also give you a son for come, the mother of nations and of kings, of peoples, and fill upon his face and laugh and sit in his heart. When I am a hundred years old, and will Sharaha also, when ninety years of age, have children? Then Abraham said, "It's interesting there that he's like, he's like, not he's having a difficult time believing this. But if you catch there, within a swap of a sentence, he actually refers. He doesn't refer to her old name. Like he quickly calls her by the name that Allah uh, Allah." Alahayam has just named her Sharaha, not the not the Yah. So that's kind of interesting. So he doesn't really like he's having a hard time grasping that she'll have a baby, but he goes with the name. Then Abraham said to Alahayam, I wish that Yishmael might live in your favor. Hmm. That's interesting. So he really wants he Abraham clearly loves his son Yishmael and he wants him to be the one. Isn't it interesting how Abraham keeps choosing these different people? He like he chooses Eliezer and he's like, nope. And he's like, well, how about Yishmael? Nope. And he's like, oh, come on. Like, you know, you can't fight, you know. He, but you know, it's it's one of those things as a parent. Um, you know, I just had a couple years a year and a half ago, my daughter, Rivka, and I remember before she was born, and we didn't know if we were having a boy or a girl. And it, it was like, you know, I have these two sons who I love these two sons, and it was hard to imagine that I could love somebody else. You know, and when she was born and I held her in my arms and I just, you know, I, I experienced this love that I didn't even know was there. I didn't know I was capable of loving that much more. And I think the same, I could see the same situation with Abram. He has a son he loves so much, Yishmael, and he just wants him to be the heir. And he can't imagine in his mind. He's never met Yitchak yet. She's, uh, Sarah's not even pregnant yet. He can't even fathom what it's going to be like to love this child, but we know that he loves um, uh, Yitchak very much. And I'm trying to remember how much further I'm. Um, I don't think I don't. I think we're almost done. Um, it's, it's I think after this the, is it right here. Yes, this is it. Yeah, this is the end of it here. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, so um, any more thoughts? And we got like a few more minutes. Anything you wanted to, to that stood out to you this whole thing you wanted to comment on? I think the, the main thing that I just wanted to put, point out in, this, in that section was about the 
Al Shadaya, um, regardless of any, you know, songs that are written, uh, this is a scary, that's a scary name. It's not like the Amy Grant no, song. No, no. It's not like the the Amy Grant song. It, you know, this is not a fluffy name. Uh, this is a scary name. And I can see if you think in terms of, uh, as you say, from the the viewpoint of the Egyptians, um, Al Shaddaya, he, he when 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 the children of Yasharel left Matsrayam, uh, this that country was destroyed, and that's I mean that's what he does. He levels the field. He levels the field, and. Uh, so, you know, I just, that, that was the main thing I want to point out in this section. Something I was thinking about this week was because we, we saw starting out this portion that it's the first time where Yahuwah talks about the Barak, the blessing and the curse. And he's saying anyone who uh, Baraks you or honors you will be, you know, receive that Barak and return that blessing. And so, I'm thinking here about Yishmael and the fact that he uh, he becomes the father of princes. He becomes the father of nations. And these people, they honor their father Abraham. And just like that, they have, been, as a people, they have been uh, brought, right? They have been blessed. And uh, so this idea, you know, Abraham becomes the father of a multitude of nations, representing not only the nation of Israel, but also of the Muslims. All right, now I'll just give you guys a few bits of food for thought here. When it comes to those going up against the New World Order, I know it sounds like I probably just jumped into this totally other uh, tangent, but modern modern day rebels, those who exhibit who exhibits the idea of the modern day rebel against the New World Order better than Islam. Anytime you have, anytime you have of a people group being villainized by our controllers that causes me to turn my gaze i mean it's almost like in the movie i'm, I'm going twice to star wars now you know in the return of the jedi when the ewoks are going up against the empire that's like islam guys like they're like in the like the, the tribal people on the desert and they're taking down the empire right now christians exhibit a hatred towards islam the, the excuse i so often hear is that they that they that the muslims are hateful towards us first well, is that so? I, mean, I, I don't know. I'm trying to figure this whole thing, this whole mess out. There's also passages in the Quran which speak of Allah destroying the infidels. Christians will point this out. See, look what it says. He's going to come and destroy the infidels. Well, if you guys, you know, think about it. Isaiah 66 says the same thing. Yahuwah is coming to destroy the, 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 the goyim, the pagans, right? So you know, we have the same text themselves that they could look at that and go, wait a second, look what your Bible says. Well, then there's, then there's their, uh, and then there's their opposition to Zionism, right? Islam, which Christianity has fallen head over heels for, particularly right now, this conflict going on in Israel once again. So it's, it, so it's like we're, the way I see this between Christianity and Islam, it's like, we're all standing in the same room, arguing, trying to shout over the other person, accuse the other person, 
and nobody is listening. So I want everyone to understand, okay, what I'm not saying. I am not supporting the Quran. From what I have experienced of Islam in the Middle East, however, my own personal experience going and talking to them, they have been a kind people who have been patient with me and desiring for understanding. Now, uh, there's always rotten fruit. Okay, there's rotten fruit in Islam, there's rotten fruit in Christianity, and of course, like Christianity, the spooks run the show. Osama was so obviously a CIA asset, as was Saddam. Uh, you know, the, the you know the intel community is running them and uh and pimping them out just as they do with you know different communities like black communities and Christian and all sorts of stuff. And so it seems like both sides are rather gullible to our short season controller. My 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 point here is that perhaps we can find a mutual respect for each other on the basis that we are all children of Abraham. Now, we can talk about salvation and all that kind of stuff, but I, I was thinking about that in the Torah portion this week where it says that those who honor him will be blessed. And I can't think of a, of a people group that really puts a focus on, you know, that they also are the children of Abraham and they bless them and just food for thought. And uh, I wish that, I wish that like we could just sit, you know, I, I would love just to sit down with some like Middle Eastern Muslims and just talk to them, you know, just, just talk to them about the Bible and the Quran, just have an open discussion, you know, open the books and just look at it. And um, no more of this, uh, the shouting matches. Anyways, that's it for tonight. That's my, um, Commentary, Pamela. Did you have anything? I asked you if you had anything else. Was there anything? Uh, no, I think that was it. It was just I. I. I always thought it was kind of funny. Uh, you know, it says that in the very self same day that that Allah Hayyam gave Ibaram the the uh, institution of circumcision. He, he had his whole household to be circumcised. Can you imagine that conversation that he he tells his whole household that very day? He hears it and he tells them. And apparently they, they either loved him or obeyed him enough that everybody was circumcised on the day that Allah Hayyam gave the circumcision. It was done. There was no well, waiting period. Yeah, you have to wonder. I mean, we, we're never getting given any indication that some people left, but I guess maybe they couldn't. I mean, I wonder if there were any freedmen there that, you know, among them that go like, yeah, we're out of here. You know, we're never going to given that indication. But I, when you said that, I was thinking like, you know, Abraham probably built a reputation. Like whenever he speaks to Yahuwah or Alahayam, it's like, okay, it, it you know, oh, he spoke to you today and we're all getting circumcised. And then, oh, he spoke to you and you're going to go sacrifice your son. You know, it's like, it's almost like, you know, it's like, uh oh, Abraham's, he's having, he, he's talking right now to Allah. What's going to, you know, what's going to happen next? But uh, I would be on the edge of my seat, you know, biting my nails. Like, what, what is he going to come say next? But yeah, and it happened pretty quickly. And I think according to the Aramaic Targum, it's, Actually, right when um, right when they're all circumcised and they're still recovering from that, that the uh, the angels come and visit them at the Oaks of Mamre uh, on their way to Sodom and Gomorrah. But of course, that's uh, for next week. 
So that's all I had, Pamela. We're coming up on the two-hour mark. It was I really enjoyed this discussion. I want to thank you for coming on and helping to clarify things. I know everyone really enjoyed hearing from you, and I'd like you to you know come on whenever you whenever you want to come on and uh, help me you know help you through this. So, well, good. thank you, so much. thank you for the opportunity. I've enjoyed it. All right. Uh, well, Shabbat Shalom. One last time, everyone. Enjoy your Sabbath day. Hope you guys get plenty of rest. I know I will. I'll be, uh, yeah, I'll be needing it tomorrow. And I'll, we'll do this again next week.